Mike, I am so excited to see you. I was just saying, I haven't seen you in a long time, man. We're we're like road warriors, the two of us. Exactly. And because of that, we're never at the same campus at the same time. And yeah. we don't get this time together. So great to see you, Harlan. It's wild, man. How many schools or like how many dates do you do uh, a year, would you say? Uh, so depending on the year, 80 to 110 days a year. So when I say that, that when people hear that, they think that can be one to four speeches a day of in, on those 80. So, you know, that could be 80 speeches. That could be 320 speeches, but it's a day of speaking in yeah. some way or form. And you're, you're a dating relationship, consent, respect expert. For people who don't know, I'm talking with Mike. Mike, how do you say your last name? Yeah, whatever you do, you don't look at it. <laughs> so imagine Amish with a D in front of it, Damish. And that's actually how you say it. So it's Mike Damish. And yeah, I've been doing 30 years, really started in the consent space, vice intervention and supporting survivors and grew into the respect space and love what we're able to share with students. And as you know, you know, businesses and military around the world. Yeah, I've known Mike for, I was thinking, I think it's probably been over 20 years, man. Like it's been, it's been wild. Like I remember when you started early on with Can I Kiss You? And and I was right. looking for, I know Can I Kiss You is really like your was your thing you know you 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 really have been helping people to kiss uh all over the country all over the world right yeah and so well that, i always appreciate that you know help people kiss and much more right? so or right. or not kiss or not much more you know so that's the beauty of this it's teaching people to have a voice to be able to say yes or no without shame or guilt in either direction Right. That's really important for people to realize. So many people think consent's about getting to a yes. Well, they forget it's also about it wanting to be a yes, not getting to a yes. Right. There's a huge difference in me getting you to a yes versus you wanting to say yes. They're drastically different. Yeah, I think that's I think that part of there's so much I want to talk about with you today, because I think teenagers and college students and you can tell me if you think this is right, if you've seen this, I think when it comes to dating and relationships and to sex and not having sex and just talking about really deeply emotional issues that could possibly involve some sort of rejection, I think they are having a harder time more than ever in any time I've ever done this. What are your thoughts? I, I Interesting. We probably have a different view, uh, point of view there. Uh, because when I started doing this work 30 years ago, to even bring this up was considered anti against the society, against the way things are supposed to work. Uh, I mean, horrible names. I was called horrific names. Like what? Uh, I mean, I had people call it, at the time words like the this is the the pussing of our society and, and using words that, to degrade women's genitalia as an attack on me. But Th wow. There's so many things wrong with that, right? On so yeah. many levels. So the attack on me is the minor thing, but it's that's a good example of part of the societal problems using words like that as a form of degradation that aimed at one gender that they don't do the same way at another gender. You know, it all falls into this. But 30 years ago, I mean, I would get people saying in the audience, in front of 500 people, well, if that's what happened, then that's clearly what they wanted to have happen, referring to the survivors of sexual assault. Uh, and so we've had a big shift. Now, there's a long ways to go. So I agree with you. There are many challenges still here and on the horizon, a tremendous amount. But there's also been some improvement along that journey. 
Yeah. So it's interesting because when I presented that question, I was thinking of the ability for someone to say, you know, I like you or, you know, I'd like to kiss you or, you know, I want to be closer to you. The, the emotional, the emotions that are tied to being vulnerable and actually telling someone what you want and listening to them. Because I think what you said is fascinating, just the concept of consent, the concept that I need to ask and that asking is part of this, or at least having some sort of understanding of what consent means. And I want to, and I want to define consent. I want people to understand consent. I want parents to understand, and I want students to understand because I don't think everybody understands, but you're right. Like totally just the idea that we're talking and that consent is part of our vocabulary. Um, I have a shirt, maybe I'll put it up in the video uh, podcast, uh, the, the YouTube version of this. I have a shirt I got from Cal Lutheran University and my kids like, it. it's really funny. It says, um, mustache there's it says mustache there's a mustache you've probably seen this mustache for consent you seen that one <laughs> yes uh, i know of those yes yeah those versions that. right i love that yeah. one so the fact that like that's something that's even out and talked about like huge right like giant and the fact that parents know they need to talk about it and students need to talk about it, it's a big issue but in terms of of a student because i know that more young people from the last survey from uh it was from the cdc there are more college students than ever are abstaining. You know, fewer students are sexually active than 10 years ago. And I think so much of that is tied to just having so much anxiety and just being so afraid to talk. So when I think of consents, like, all right, I'm asking you about sex. Like this is like this is the most high stakes thing I'm going to be asking you about. But you know, I have a hard time even telling you I like you. So how can I even get from telling you I like you to talking about sex? And, you know, are our students able to do this? Is that a harder thing for them to do? Yeah, great question. I don't think it's a harder thing for them to do. I think they were never doing it before. So so it's not that it's harder. It's that it's the first. This is the first generation for this to be more of a norm. Now, how beautiful for me to be able to make that statement, because 30 years ago, we would have dreamed of saying students are so focused on consent, they're abstaining because they're not comfortable with the concept. Uh, we couldn't have, many people couldn't imagine that 30 years ago. Uh, so that there's progress in that. Now, with that said, going back to are they, you know, they're so afraid to have the conversation. The difference was the conversations that were happening for the 20 years before that, the thousands of years before that were gamification. And so it's not that they got worse at having these conversations. Nobody was having real vulnerable ones before, and now they're being encouraged to do something that's never been done before. So this is new teaching, new programming, no wiring that's going to take time for generations to figure out because everything was playing the game before. It was lines that you used. It was, here's a pickup approach. It was very gender biased. I mean, dramatically gender biased. It was heteronormative. So this is so new that it's going to take a generation or more to, for people to get comfortable with this. So I have no problem when people tell me, oh, you know, sex is down on campuses because students aren't as comfortable talking with each other. Yeah, let's, let's be clear. They never were. It's just now they recognize the importance of it. Right. And, okay. and so that's changing the conversation. Now, what that tells us is how badly our society and our school systems have done at teaching human relation skills 
how to treat someone with respect, how to communicate what you want or to inquire what somebody else wants. All that's missing before they even show up on a college game. Yeah. I'm obsessed with rejection. Like that's, that's my thing. Like I love, I don't love getting rejected, but I'm obsessed with rejection. And, um, and I, I started my career writing my help me Harlan advice column, you know, really talking about dating and relationships and, you know, what's the best way not to gamify things as much, but, and I'm thinking of, um, oh, I know like, of course, Andrew Tate is like, you know, a, a gamification, you yeah. know, really he's in big trouble for good reasons. Um, then, um, who was the other dude that wrote the game? He's, you know, um, I'm talking well, about. Well, there's been so many. It's like the game um, is like the big. You know, the Max Tucker version that was out there for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He's chilled Tucker, out. Tucker Max. Max. Tucker Max, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, um, yes, he has. He's gone a whole different uh, route. Who is it? The he's Max- actually gone a completely different route. I know. He's got like a family and he's yeah, in, yeah. in the book publishing. And yeah, because yeah, I never, I was never a fan of. Ice Fellow is like very demeaning to women. Like it was mainstream that you can be uh, so disrespectful and talk in such a disrespectful way. And and I think there are people who were looking at that as a, as a way to model behavior as opposed to something that you shouldn't, you shouldn't do. Um, let me look up the game, the, the game dating, because he's another dude who's... Uh, um, nah, the dating- y- Who's the dude? The the I don't the, want to say the wrong dude person because I don't want to get saying, somebody in trouble here. But you're not thinking of the dating doctor. No, 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 no. This is this okay. is the game. This is like the black book. It's called the game penetrating the secrets. It's penetrating. I mean, look the at secrets. the la- Look at the language right there. Right, penetrating. It's, well, it's very is, intentional. So the game penetrating the secret society of pickup artist Neil Strauss. So Neil had this this book, and then Neil did another book. And you know people's perspectives change on that, but I think just that idea of this this isn't a game. Like you can't game getting sex and be consensual. Like or you maybe you can. You know I don't know how those two correlate. Well, you might you might legally be consensual, but it's certainly not an ideal standard of consent. So one of the things that we talk a lot about with audiences is imagine if somebody said to you, "Yeah, well it's legal." Okay. All right. All right. Before I have sex with you, here's how I roll. Let's say somebody said this to you. Uh, as long as I can't be charged with rape legally, I'll do whatever I want to do as long as I can't be charged with rape. As soon as you say that, almost everybody goes, I'd be running out of that room so fast, they won't know what have hit them because that is horrific approach. But ironically, it's how a lot of people view their consent approach. Well, how do I not get in legal trouble? That's such a low standard. How do you, how about saying, how can I understand consent in such a way that I don't have to worry about the law? Because I'm thinking about how, what this person wants and what I want and make sure they're mutual and alignment that this, this is built to happen in this moment so that we're not dealing in a fear factor, right? If I'm trying to engage in sexual activity with somebody based on fear, we're already in trouble. Right. There's already not a healthy place there versus of curiosity and wanting mutuality. And when it's not there, okay, then we don't want this to happen. It's a completely different approach. And that's, what's really key to healthy consent. Right. And I think on the other side is I don't want to get rejected and I want to have sex. Like, like if those are my two priorities, uh, these aren't my priorities, Mike, I'm just right. 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 Right
So I, yeah, I trust me, my line of work, I had to worry every word I say because of that. Yeah. I can imagine how your stuff could be chopped up and sliced and diced. I mean, imagine what I just said. I said, imagine if someone and someone cut it right from there, right? I right. only care about this, right? Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, totally. Well, we'll make sure we are very careful with how we edit our clips for the still of a career. Right. And we'll keep the we'll keep the long form there. So if someone's goal is to not re, not get rejected, I think this is what a lot of teens and 20-somethings goals are, is to not get rejected, minimize the risk of emotionally being hurt, and to achieve whatever intimacy I can to get, you know, as much sex as I can with as little rejection and friction as possible. And what well, I maybe not as out, little friction as possible, but <laughs> maybe not right. Maybe not friction. Thank you. There was there was bound to be. I like that you still can insert those types of comments. Gotta have this should be fun. That's one of the things people forget about this topic is that when you understand consent, sex is more fun. It, it shouldn't right. be. The, and this is what people think. They think consent takes away the fun. Consent makes people afraid. No, like that moment where you go, we don't want friction. Oh, we want friction, right? I mean, right, we right. want to have fun with this, right? Well, uh, so let's get to what, let's dive to what you said on the yeah. rejection. And, you know, if I don't want those things, first of all, why do you want the sex? Almost always, not always, there are people purely doing this for power and ego. We we know that, but the the typical person you and I would deal with is not doing it for that reason. They're doing it for pleasure, connection, multiple reasons, of which if you want it to be pleasurable and based on connection, either of those two or both of those two, right, then it is going to be about how the two of you are doing this together in a way you both want it to happen for it to truly feel amazing for both of you, right? So if that's the case, the irony is the old way of somebody making their move until somebody stops them is the worst way to go into rejection. Because when you ask people, if you just make your move, can they reject you? Everybody's like, oh, of course. And what does that rejection look like? You get pushed, you get slapped, you get like a no of disgust. You've ruined the experience. You might've ruined the night. You might've done something to them already they didn't want done. So if you're afraid of rejection, the last thing you would do is just make a move on someone. Because that has rejection built into it that is disastrous and ugly, right? Or that somebody's so afraid to say no to you because you didn't give them the opportunity. You literally never gave them a choice that they didn't get an opportunity to reject and you are doing something them they don't want done because you didn't give them a choice. So, so if you're afraid of rejection, you would always ask because if you know how to ask, if you get a no, it doesn't have to reject you if you know how to handle it. And this is key, Harlan. People think, well, if I get a no, I'm being rejected. No, you're not being rejected. It might have nothing to do with you. They might not feel well. They might not be in the mood. It might have nothing to do with you. In fact, they might want to have sex with you. They might want to make out with you, but not in that moment. It has nothing to do with you. So the first mistake is to think I'm being rejected versus I'm hearing the word no. They're completely different concepts. So watch the difference, Harlan. I'll ask you, you say no to me, okay? Uh, We're role-playing, so I'm a a partner of yours. Okay. Harlan, uh, Harlan, would you like to have sex tonight? Um, Gosh, Uh, I, no, 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 
no, but I really like you. Oh, should I not? Well, thank I you. Might have screwed that up. Oh, there's no. No, you're good. Up. You're. There's no screwing up. Uh, well, thanks for letting me know. Because the last thing I'd want to do is in any way make any assumptions or get into my head something's going to happen that's not going to happen or put you under any pressure. So thank you for letting me know that's not what you want because I always want to honor your boundaries, your wants, your needs, and your desires. You're, you're too important for me not to do that. So let me ask you this part. Now, if... But let's pause. If a partner said that to you, what's your natural reaction? Uh, I mean, it, it's a wonderful way to be validated and to have that no become this connection point of me trusting that you are going to listen to me and it's safe for me to tell you the truth. You know, yes, and, and right. Right. And you're not going to reject me because the, the rejection piece, and you know, there'll be time like we could do a deeper dive on this because like rejection is so tied to so many of the challenges and and problems that people face in their lives because of a misunderstanding of what no means. And then this is the part where I really want to understand through your lens. And I've gotten a lot of pushback on this and I try to be very sensitive and I try to use the appropriate language because it's so important now to say the, to say things in a correct way uh, or as correct as can be. But when, when I said, no, let's hear, can we, well, we can role play it. You can, you can lead this, but here's what I wanted to explore. It's when you receive that no, you were so kind and respectful and wonderful, which made me even more attracted to you. But then is it okay for you to understand why? Because I said no, and you respected that. But I think there's also something to be said of, you know, I'm really curious, you know, I never want to make you uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go there. I should never ask about the why in the moment. Ever. Here's why ironically, the why to the why. Um, if you say no to me and I say, thank you so much, uh, you know, I'm glad you're able to tell me this isn't what you wanted. Curious why. It implies a lot that everything I just said, that I honor your space, I honor your boundaries, I honor, but you owe me a reason because, you know, no isn't what's normal. That's what the why quickly turns the whole situation into. If I don't ask why, it doesn't matter. And that's the truth. The why doesn't matter. That's your call. You don't own me a why. And so this is one of the biggest lessons that's difficult for people of all ages to learn. No is not mean. And so saying no, you do not have to back it up with anything because you shouldn't feel shame or guilt around it. The moment I feel I have to say why I said no, it means the no by itself doesn't stand strong enough. And I feel guilt or shame. So I don't want you to feel bad over it. So I now give you a reason so you don't feel bad. But you shouldn't be feeling bad because I chose no. That's not on me. So what we tell people is in the moment, you don't ask why. Because right? it implies you're sort of not, you're, you're curious if you can change the answers. But, and, and here's what proves it. Go on. Uh, Harlan, I said last name. Um, here's what proves it. When I ask students, high school, college, or U.S. military members, or people in a marriage, when you say no to sex, What's the first thing your partner says? The same word is said across this country, whether the audience is 513-year-olds or 1,025-year-olds. Why? Or why not? Every time I say no to sex. 
So we have taught people not to respect your answer, to question it. And that's not healthy. The moment somebody says, why or why not? The person thinks, did I do something wrong that I have to explain this? And there we got shame and guilt based around saying no. So if you want to be curious and find out why they said no, because you didn't want to do anything wrong, you genuinely wanted to learn from the situation, wait till a different time to ask about that situation that happened last night. In other words, I'm not going to ask you now why. Tomorrow, I might say, when you said no yesterday, I just want to make sure, is there anything that I did to cause that? Because I want to honor your no and never think you have to explain why you said no. Just curious if there's anything I did to cause that because I wouldn't want to do that again going forward. See how beautiful that why is. But if I said that in the moment, it sounds like I'm trying to get you back to a yes. Mm, that's that's great. Um, that's so fascinating. Because when working through rejection, the why is a really important part for the person who's receiving rejection. And for the person who's setting a boundary, the why, when you ask the why in such close proximity and time to getting the no, then the default is they're on the defense and you're putting them in a defensive place because I've had this back and forth with, with people in the comments on my social media when I'll talk about dating and I'll say, you know, if you ask somebody to go out and they're not interested, it's okay to ask why, right? Because, and to ask why not in a way of where you could say, you know, I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable in any way. Um, but I'm just curious because I'm always looking to learn and understand people. So that's that's the way of like really padding it to make sure it's clear that I'm not looking for you to give me something or and you're not required to. You know, if you're comfortable sharing, I would just be curious to know why. That's in a that's in a dating situation when someone's interacting with someone in class or you know at a party or in some place like that. How do you feel about that? Um, I think it's risky. And, and here's why. There's a lot of gender power dynamics here, and there can be race also power dynamics in this. So I don't know the partners that are involved, but it once again goes to, even though the way you said it's beautiful and you did, right? Hey, I'm just trying to learn. I'm trying to grow. Is there anything, uh, I would not go after the why. Is there anything about me that just doesn't work for you that's good for me to know, right? That makes it about me trying to learn about me and not asking your why for why you made a choice. You don't owe that to me. Uh, even no matter what the circumstance, you don't owe me that, but right? So that. I want to just jump in because I'm under the premise that no one owes anyone anything. And in correct. that situation, the person who's being asked, because I think also for those who are asked the why or feel like they're on the defense in some way, like you don't owe anyone anything and the person asking isn't owed anything. So if we have an- ah, But pause there, pause there, pause there. We gotta pause there because there's a really important power element going here and that's where it's about to get to. You're right. You don't owe anything. They don't owe anything. But has society taught them they do? And the answer is yes. Because when you ask students why you say yes when you wanna say no to sex and they say they do this all the time and married people do this all the time. Say yes to sex they don't want to have. What's the number one reason? Well, if I said no, it would disappoint my partner. And I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want to hurt that person's feelings. So there is a programming that has happened way before this person gets to this moment that says, if I say no, it's going to hurt you. So I might even break my own beliefs and morals just not to hurt you. So if your response back is, hey, you don't owe me this, 
I'm just curious why you do that. I can now be triggered back to, oh, shit, I shouldn't have ever said no. Because look, I'm crushing this person and now think it's my job to make them feel better about themselves because I said no to them. Uh, that's the the game that gets played back here because of social programming way before the two of us were in that moment. Yeah. And I think so. It is, it is a fine line. I, yeah. I think this is a good example, once again, of uh, I think how you set it up does matter. So if, you know, your example you gave, hey, would you like to go on a, on a date? And they say, no, not for me. And go, okay, I appreciate that. Really, I really appreciate how honest you are. Thank you. So what's the goal, Harlan, of asking them why? Because this is huge in understanding how right. I want to do that. So the goal Because I wasn't, re- I wasn't rejected. Let me be clear. Because we keep saying the word rejection. Where was I rejected? Where was I told I wasn't worthy? Well, I think that when, when you ask somebody to go out and they say no, you're not getting what you want. And that's rejection. You know, when someone doesn't respond the way that you okay, just trying to understand what you mean by rejection. Right. So not someone getting what I want. Your okay. expectations. You know, there's so much rejection that's so subtle of even walking through a courtyard and looking at someone in the eyes and they look the other way. You know, that's sure. that's rejection because the intention is or the expectation is I want someone to reciprocate. So if someone who understands rejection and understands no one owes them anything is asking why. And, you know, there are very few people who I think are this evolved in terms of how they look at themselves and and manage situations. But this is where I try to train people when it comes to managing rejection, all aspects of their life is you want to understand the circumstance because there's rejection. There's three forms of rejection. There's self-rejection, rejection by circumstance and raw rejection. So self-rejections, I reject myself, rejection by circumstances or someone, uh, uh, an outside circumstance that's causing the rejection and raw rejection is I'm never going to get the outcome I desire no matter what I do, no matter what I say. And in order to get to a place where you can take this rejection and almost put it into a coin sorter, because I want to understand, because I'm actually curious because I'm a really good person. I'm a kind person. I'm a loving person who brings light into the world. And if I'm offering something without any conditions and someone doesn't want what I'm offering, I'm curious, just, just like as if I'm selling a printer and someone says they don't want the printer. I'm just curious, you know, I'm just curious why. And sure. And can, can you see that if I grew up in a world where I was taught my gender or my identity, my job is to keep that your gender happy that that line of questioning can feel like I, I, they think I owe them an answer. Even though you and I both know nobody owes anyone an answer, we're forgetting that the billions of people that have been taught, I owe. This means I owe. So you and I will say, hey, nobody owes, right? We have that education. Uh, but billions don't. They believe they owe. But, but is that, so when I offer that advice, I then off, I then share. And if you're somebody who's asked, you don't need to respond in any way other than the way you want. You don't owe anyone anything because I'm trying to correct. Teach people. So, I'm trying to revert. Like I'm trying to address this using a situation and then trying to show both sides because I think there's this, there's this assumption. I try to live by the four, the, the, the four um, agreements. And, and one of them is, is do not right, make folks. assumptions, right? It's like, right. it's, it's really, right. and, so if I'm living my life based on other people's assumptions, well, then I'm not going to be authentic in being impeccable with my word, which is another one of the agreements. 
And then if yeah. I can not take things personally, I can actually process what people are saying in a way that doesn't make it feel like they carry the burden of making me feel better. And if I'm constantly working- So pause, but pause right there, yeah. pause right there. That's, that is the burden of the question that we're talking about is right there. It can often lead to the other person feeling it's their job to make you feel better. So going back to your question, hey, I'm teaching both sides of this, which is great. I would say we have to first teach everybody first, you don't know this answer. Right. Then we can teach the other side of it. Because until everybody is on a plane or a lot, the majority are the plane of I don't know, what happens is, and you're, you know, you and I both aware of this, the people who are seekers to action and learning hear the thing they can take to be more proactive in their life. So that person's more likely to run with a lesson. I'm going to ask why that happened. Way, way more than somebody is who's not proactive. And so what happens is we get, we get that lesson way, way, way more often than we get, hey, you don't owe anybody the answer. So I, I, once again, I want to stress, I think there's nothing wrong in a, in a conversation where everybody feels safe and equal and doesn't feel they owe for this conversation. I just know because of my, my audience have told me and they continue to tell me every day that those moments make them feel they owe. Yeah. And and that's what I see over and over again. And so, yes, we're doing our best like you to teach them they don't know, right? They don't know. But but what's happening is they're giving answers based on thinking they do. Yeah. So you might not even be getting the legit answer because they just want to make you feel better. Which is which is where so many of the problems start and progress. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to do a video. I'm just thinking, man, I'm going to do, I'm, I'm excited to do some videos that really talk about not owing. Because I really feel like there's a place where like my social has been getting a lot of interaction, a lot of engagement. And um, I just want to share that. Like, it's so important. And I think as a foundationally, it's this idea of equal footing of two people in a room who are engaging in some type of intimacy with an understanding that we are equals, right? That we are equals. And until there's this clear understanding that we are equals, we have to be careful with how we interact and how we listen because the dynamics of that situation may make it uh, impossible to, yeah. uh, to communicate in a safe way. I, absolutely. And I'll, I'll prove to you the greatest example. Whether you're talking once again to a high school student and somebody married 20 years, I say there's one word your partner says to you right before they say the word no when they don't want to have sex. They say this word first. Would you want to guess what the word is, Harlan? So so let's paint. They're, the they're saying no, and this is, this is the word right before. Okay, so a couple's in bed. It's late at night. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and let's make the woman initiate. Or the, yeah, or it doesn't have to be a woman. It could be, it could be Particularly in this case, uh, particularly in this case, we're going to have a female respondent. Okay. So we need to do I'm that. I'm not saying who the other partner is, but we're going with a female respondent. Right. And 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 then the person starts to make a move. And I would say the, the word's going to be either no or, well, I have to pick one. It's going to be- One. Um, before the word no. They're going to say no, but they're going to the say word, this word no. first. Okay. I figured it out. Stop. A uh, no? Nope. <laughs> or um, before the word no, they're going to say, what are you doing? 
Nope. So those those are you are using That's empowered not a words. You're using empowered words. I'm using stop. What are you doing? Those are very proactive words. So the, here's okay. the word. Okay. Here it I'm is. Ready? Failing, I'm failing your role play. I'm not. Uh, getting, no, I'm this not is, the worst. You're thing. not failing. You're not failing at all. It, <laughs> what it's doing is showing the difference of where you're at and where most of our society's at. Right. And that that's a healthy understanding. So most people say the following word: sorry, no. Sorry, not tonight. Sorry, I'm not in the mood. Sorry, I don't want to do that. Uh, and overwhelmingly, people tell you they say that. Why are they saying sorry? Is that right? Because my wife never says sorry. That's great, though. That's a sign of a healthy relationship if they don't say sorry. Seriously, it's a sorry. really good, wonderful right. sign. There's nothing she's sorry about. There's nothing to be sorry <laughs> for. But so when you say to somebody, why are you saying you're sorry? Well, I feel bad because I said no. It goes back to the owing. Right. And so I always teach people, if your partner says, sorry, not tonight, sorry, no, pause and go, please never be sorry. That's why I asked, because I want you, I only want to do this if you absolutely want to do this. I don't ever want you to say sorry for that. Right. So help them understand there's nothing. But this tells you how just foundational this is. Now you have a much healthier relationship. And so your partner doesn't think they owe you. So they don't use that language. Awesome. That's beautiful. Right. Right. I'm writing notes. I'm writing little, little, um, I've got my little sticky pad here because yeah. I'm writing. I'll, I'll give you another example. This one's so classic okay, in good. high school and college. Hey, uh, one partner says, and by the way, the example we just gave could have been any gender identity responding. But what we find is that in our society, if you identify as a woman, that people will say you're more likely to feel you owe than if you identify as, as a man. Now, there's other identities, obviously, um, but but that is even more prevalent. That's why I use that example. But uh, but let's go to a different one. You're with a partner and they say, do you want to have sex? And you say, well, I'm tired or whatever. I don't want to do that right now. But instead, I'll do this for you. Almost always, what is the this for them? It's one of two sexual acts. And the last 20 years, it's become one. 30 years ago, it was a different sexual act. But now it's one, particularly if the respondent is male. Uh, the person who's going to receive this uh, is male. It is often oral sex. Right? Now, 30 years ago, is it was manual. It was hands. right? But then it shifted. We saw a shift occur in what students were saying was happening. U.S. students, all right. Or not even when I say this, this isn't a high school conversation. Most high schools wouldn't allow this conversation, but a but a college high school college will have this conversation. A adult married couple will have this conversation. Why? There's two reasons. One, I'm switching to do that for my partner because I genuinely want to. I'm not in the mood for necessarily for my body to have certain things done, but I want to, I want to do this for them. Okay, that's under the consent realm of what we talk about. You want to do this. Or two, well, I got to do something for them. Mm -hmm. That's not healthy. Right. And a lot of high schoolers and college students and even middle schoolers and even 30-year married people do that. Well, I'll switch to that sexual act because I got to do something for them. Right? Right. Which, no, you don't. No, you don't. And there's a big difference in I want to do this for you and I have to do something. Right. The want versus the the have. have to. Yeah, the have to. And, you know, and I think one way of approaching intimacy and, and, and any type of any type of intimacy, sex, one thing that I've really practiced is not having expectations that need mm-hmm. to be met. 
Because if I have expectations that need to be met, how I communicate, whether it's verbal or non-verbally, will be felt by my partner. And yep. it sets my partner up to feel like they're doing something wrong. And it's been uh, an exercise in, you know, no one's required to do anything for me or with me at any time. And if someone's not interested, then it just means they're not interested. And if I can't find other ways to fill my time, then that's something I need to work on and and find other ways to be fulfilled. Not like, I don't mean like that. That's, I'm not, I mean, you know, even like- Well, you went there, I didn't go there. So. That's not what I, I was trying to be so careful with my words. And uh, I get really, I get really embarrassed because I, you know, I, I, Mike, I have been so sanitized, dude. Like I have been, I have become like, like, you know, I don't even know what Puritans were when they came off the ships, you know, during Thanksgiving. Um, actually, it wasn't during Thanksgiving when I'm like butchering history. I'm it's, it's I'm spiraling bad here. But anyway, <laughs> the, the idea of someone who's very pure, right, I need to stop. So I've become so afraid of using innuendo, of saying the wrong thing. I once was at a, an event. I, I'm so careful now. This was maybe like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I talked about my my first kiss with uh, th- with my with this my girlfriend, my senior year and how and how um, we were on the couch and um, I asked her if, if I could kiss her and uh, and she said that, that I could. So I kissed her and she. And she liked it at first, and I kissed her again with all my energy. And I I put my tongue, you know, really far down her in her mouth. And she said, Please stop, don't do that with your tongue. And I stopped and I was humiliated. I felt horribly rejected and I was afraid this this girl would never like me again. But then what she did is, and I was very, you know, I, I respect her boundaries. She said, um, you don't have to be upset. Let me show you how I like to be kissed. And then she held my face and taught me. And it was a wonderful moment because I wasn't experienced and I was embarrassed, but there was someone who helped me. And that was like such a beautiful moment because I just felt so accepted and I felt okay, even if I was uncomfortable. And I shared that story. Like, I think it's a beautiful story. Um, Do you think it's a beautiful story? So before I answer, what was the kickback? Oh, they said that they didn't want me to talk about kissing in front of the group. And um, because this was like a college readiness type of thing. And and I explained, I talk about risk-taking and emotional risk-taking. And I talk about consent. And I talk about the real issues, like in The Naked Roommate and 107 other issues you might run into in college. There's a whole section on sex and consent and, and, and intimacy. And that part of talking and true intimacy is being okay with someone saying no. True intimacy is okay making mistakes and still being loved. True intimacy is being able to share how you feel and express what you need and don't want with someone knowing that you're going to be okay, that it's going to be okay. And it was, I thought it was, you know, I still stand by it was wonderful, but they were so upset that I talked about something, like talked about kissing. Talking about kissing. Yeah. So my my estimation in that story, it's a, it's an estimation based on what I've seen in, in my own work, is it was probably the descriptiveness, and that when you if I, with all my energy, with all my people can perceive that as a male 
being dominant and forceful, even though given permission, being forceful with it. And there's possibility for that descriptor to become a trigger for somebody in the audience who I agreed to this and then they went and did this. Uh, And, and you're not sharing this kind of a story, but, and he took that as a, okay. uh, And that's the way he should have rolled, you know, that, and so it can be very triggering or she uh, or they, and so it can be very triggering. So that could have been what happened there, but it's a guess, but to your point, people talking about intimacy, people get it incredibly don't, don't, don't have that conversation. So in my line of work, it's why I'm literally hired, but it's also why I can't get in many schools. Right. So people don't get this information. And and I should mention, that's the last time I ever told that story Um, because I, and I, and I, and I really, you know, I was open to feedback and, and I wanted to understand because the thing about me is I truly have wonderful intentions and I truly want to serve and help. And and I don't want anybody to be anything but thrilled. So I was so upset because I thought I was doing something so wonderful and so helpful. And I took that as a lesson. And this is the why, why was I rejected? Why were they upset? Eventually I, I learned more. And then I explained, you know, what, what I do and, and that I thought that that was communicated. And then I also now, whenever I had have an event, I am so detailed when it comes to expectations and understandings because we live in a world where getting this information from people who are thoughtful and have wonderful intentions is very difficult. Like kids don't get this. Parents don't get this. They do. And and you're right. They don't. And the other half of that, though, to be fair, is there are people having these conversations with good intention that should not be having these conversations. And what happens when that happens is the schools freak out and say, see, we can't have these conversations. No, you brought the wrong person in to have that conversation. And because of that, the harm that was done, you're now not letting people get the correct information. So no more harm is done. And you'd be amazed how often that is happening in our country where, well, why don't you bring what, you know, for instance, my program is known on consent by intervention supporting, whether it's a high school or middle school, right? The the students will tell you overwhelmingly, if we do what Mike just taught, way less is going to happen in the school, way less, right? So safety goes up. Students feel empowered. They have choices. They have support system. They feel all of this when they're done, right? But you just need the one person in the school to go, but what if one of them thinks about sex for the first time? Yeah, because of that program. And that one thing can stop the conversation from happening. So when I meet parents are like, my kid's not there yet. They're not having those conversations or those thoughts. Well, you better get there before they do. Because if you're going to wait till you know they're there, you're six months to two years behind the place they might have actually started having the thoughts. So the yeah. earlier we can have these conversations, the better. I was smiling because you're like, some people go to schools and then they don't allow someone like yourself to to come there. And I'm thinking that I was the guy there before you. Like I was, <laughs> I was the guy at the school. <laughs> and they're like, no, we will not have anyone talk about this. <laughs> it happened once. I have great events. People love my events. I know. I'm not questioning I, your right. work at all, I get obviously. No, it's yeah. not, I know what you mean. There's a lot, there's a lot of conversation that that happens and 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 schools, it's very tricky, especially with just what's going on around the country in terms of 
what's appropriate conversation at school because if if students aren't having this at schools, I know many colleges and universities require this. You know, their needs they they file this under their Title IX programming and these yeah, but they what they do is they do a check the box. Let's get real about this. Most schools do a check the box. You have to go through an online program that says you understand these issues around consent, sexual violence to get registered for your classes. Every student knows the right answer, whether they believe it or not. And they'll tell you that. Oh, I walked right through that online thing. All right. So do you ask? No. So what good is a system that I just have to know the right answer, even though I don't believe in it? Yeah. And, and this is why your what you and I do live programming, which many others do, too, is essential. Because when I'm in that room, if I have the right skill, talent, and experience and wisdom, I can draw that out and address right. it. That's not getting addressed online. Yeah. And um, I, I, start, I have a plan for the rest of our time together. I'm going to go a little bit longer with you, maybe than we intended originally, because this is so, it's so interesting. And I want, what I want to is empower parents and also students, any college students, teenagers who are listening, I want them to have a very clear understanding of playbook of what consent is and what consent isn't. So they can learn because I want to make sure that there are these takeaways from this conversation because it's yeah, let's dive right in. There's there's a need, there's a need for all of that. So when it comes to consent, what is your definition or what is the definition that students will use or you will use during a program? What is consent? Here we go. So what I'm about to describe is not the legal definition because it's different in every state. And we've already discussed this in this interview. The law is just too low of a standard to live by. So we want the healthiest version of what consent is. First phrase is critical. Mutually wanted. I don't talk you into anything. You don't talk me into anything. We both want this to occur. We want this. All right. So there's your enthusiasm too, right? We both want this to occur. That's step number one. Number two, it is specific. So if I say, may I kiss you? And you say, yes. My hands don't get to roam all over your body while we're kissing. You did not say yes to that. You said yes to kissing. And this next phrase is critical, Harlan. It is free to be removed. Now, why that's important, that means the second you say stop, you've removed consent and you have the right to do that. It's your body. Right. And so I must stop in that moment. I don't have to think, give me 30 more seconds. No, it's been removed. Why that's important is that we have people using the word that consent's reversible. And when students hear the word reversible, if I said to you, hey, I gave you consent at 10 o'clock and at 1010, I said stop and consent's reversible. What just happened the last 10 minutes? You're, they, they think, oh, I never had consent because they reversed it. They went backwards, which you can't go backwards. You can remove it from where it is. So we are trying to get the word out when people say consent's reversible. No, it's not. You, you consent was there and you stopped it. You removed it. It's free to be removed. But there's a big difference. In fact, there's an acronym called FRIES that's using reversible. And we're telling everybody, switch it to removed. You can't reverse. <laughs> but you can remove, all right? So that's important, free to be removed. And then next, and this is super important, is what we just talked about. It's enthusiastically freely given, right? There's no pressure, there's no coercion of sound mind. I'm not emotionally manipulating you. You're not an emotional state that is vulnerable to manipulation. You are not 
uh, intoxicated or under the influence of drugs are causing this, that you don't have enough mind to make a sound decision. So you're of sound mind, enthusiastically given, and of course, of legal age, right? You put all that together and you get a beautiful experience between two people. Okay, that's a great definition. And I think it's a great definition that parents can share. It's a great definition mm-hmm. that I'm going to share. And I think it's really important for people to just have their definition, to repeat the definition, to understand the definition. Yeah, absolutely. Is. Just hearing it isn't enough. It's it's really talking about it. And for parents talking about it and for students to talk about it, because consent is is an essential part of connection. And, and yeah, have- because what most most parents teach will check in and ask, is this okay? No, you should have asked before. So when they start touching someone and go, is this okay? Well, I'm already doing it to you. I've already committed the act versus what would you love for me to do next? What do you love? What would you love for me to do for your body right now? Right? That that sensuality, that is sexy. That is fun. And if somebody's like, well, that's creepy because you're looking at me and I'm not your partner. I'm not to me. Maybe it is if you're looking at me, but if you're with your sexual partner who you want, and they're like, what would you love for me to do your body right now? If you say that's creepy, it's an indication of sexual immaturity because you're getting uncomfortable talking about what you want sexually. That's not the work that we do's fault. That means that you want to learn to get more comfortable with your decisions and your choices and your body and your sexuality. Right. Okay. So let's play a game called consent or not consent. Okay. Yep. All right. So leaning in for a kiss without asking a partner, is that consent or not consent? Well, so far leaning in, nothing's happened. So it's not either, right? Technically, technically. But if I lean in, if I lean in and kiss you without asking, without knowing you wanted it, uh, that would be an argument of not consent, right? Because how do I, how do I know it was enthusiastically given? Now, someone will argue the old, if I go 90, and they go the, the other 10, right? This was in the movie Hitch and uh, one. It's one of the dumbest approaches because anybody who's ever gone 90 and didn't get the other 10, you do want to talk about humiliation. That's it right there. So, uh, but the other problem with that is it implies they're supposed to go the other 10. Like, that's just what you do. I'm here. Come on, kiss me. Versus giving you a choice. It feels like you owe again versus I just want to know whether you want this. So, but if, if, if somebody says, well, I start to lean in and they, they come right in quicker than I even come in and they show really strong enthusiasm. Yeah. Somebody's going to probably say, well, that would be consent because you're both really enthusiastically coming at the same approach at the same time. The risk though is, I don't know what, if you, that's what you were thinking right now. There's still tons of risk behind that. So lean in and say, can I kiss? go 90 and say, look them right in the eyes and go, can I kiss you right now? That's hot. Yeah. People, I get pushback on that one, man. Like that one, you know, I, I got a whole thing. I don't know if, I don't know if you talk about Riz or if you use Riz in your, in, in your <laughs> vernacular. But, such a silly statement. Like, yeah. Riz, but it's, yeah. it's the whole idea of game again. Right. Right. Well, the, the whole idea of, of Riz for those aren't, who aren't familiar with the term Riz is, you know, having sex appeal. It's, it's being. You're um, smooth, your charisma. Yeah. It's yeah. All those things. Yeah. So, you know. If you and have, so let's pause on that. Here's how I know you don't have RIDs. When you have to follow somebody's protocol for how to get some instead of doing what you know is the right thing. See, somebody who really has confidence that people are attracted to, they do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Not because it gets them what they want, 
not because they're listening to other people telling them what to do, because they are themselves. The most confident human being in the world is the person who believes in living their life the way they do because it's who they are. I think it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful way of looking at Riz. And uh, I get, I get ripped apart a lot in the comments when I talk about, especially the kissing, the kissing part of you can ask, you can ask and make it sexy. And people respond, you know, if somebody don't, you know, women will respond and men will respond yep. and, and non-binary partners will respond. Non-binary yep. binary people, you know, people of all different gender uh, will respond and they'll be like, you know, I don't want someone to ask. It ruins the moment. You know, it's such a dorky thing to do. Or uh, if I leave- Let's pause. Let's pause on that because I get it too. This is the heart of my work. I get this all the time. So here's the key to overcoming that, right? There's some barriers playing in their mind. They're fighting back because if they agree with you, they have to look in the mirror. So it's easier to fight back. This is a very personal issue. So I'm going to fight back. I'm going to challenge you because if I don't challenge you and I listen to you and I actually ask someone, I'd have to look in the mirror at what I've done in the past. And that's scary. Have I done something? I didn't give somebody this choice before that can feel horrible. And that can, so you're getting a lot of pushback because you're hitting the right notes and it's activating people. Right. And so that's a good thing, actually. How we overcome that is we role play an asking scene. And everybody in the room who before we role played was like, it'll never work. It'll be awful. And then you role play it on stage, and people are like, oh my gosh, I would love that. And they're like, well, what just happened? You just saw it. That's all you needed. They just need to see it. TV yeah. and movie doesn't show it. But once people see asking, they're like, oh my gosh, that's so much easier. Why didn't we? The same person who said, I don't ever want to be asked. I get it all the time. The second part of this is the one who says, well, I don't need to ask. I've got game. I've got Riz, right? They'll say that. Uh, and I'll say this. I'll go, uh, you know, I've got game. And I'll say, well, I'm sorry you need it. And as soon as I say that, the room's like, oh, you know, all the students are like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. And they get it right away. Yeah. Because if you tell me you need Riz or you have to have game to get what you want, what you're telling me is who you are isn't good enough. So you have to follow this protocol to get what you want because you can't be in who you are. I wouldn't be bragging if that's the case. Well, you know, alpha, I don't know if you ever get like the alpha males and like people. Yeah, but here's the thing. Alpha, look at look at the energy I'm giving, right? It's high energy. It is this alpha versus beta versus all different yeah. levels, right? It's confidence in doing the right thing, however you project that. The, the ultimate definition of confidence is to believe in, not to get, right? right? And so if I want to be confident, I don't prove that I'm confident by getting anything. I prove I'm confident by learning how to believe in me yeah. and believe in how to treat other human beings. And because, and this is the phrase that we teach every audience, because that's who I am. And you know how few people are taught to look in the mirror and say, I'm making this choice right now because this is who I am. It's so rare and it's so empowering. So before any situation you go into anybody sexually, stop yourself, look in the mirror, and go, remember, this is who I am. Somebody who cares, somebody who wants to do the right thing, somebody who wants to give somebody choices, somebody who only wants to be mutually wanted. This is who I am. And when people try to get me to do other things that are not who I am, I will declare my boundaries for me. This is who I am. Yeah. 
That's a great mantra. And it's, it's, it takes, it takes being shown and, and having someone hold up a mirror and to also say what you're saying and to reflect some of the things that I, that I, that I try to share with rejection is that you are enough and <laughs> anyone would be lucky to be in your life. One, one, one of the things that I share when, when I talk about, you know, who is a secret crush and, you know, who's not sharing your feelings and, and why are you so afraid of sharing your feelings? And you know, we kind of know how the script grows. We know how the script grows in a big, in a big room. And uh, I'll, I'll ask them, you know, if, if you knew that someone would be interested in you and that you would be okay, no matter what, would it be so hard to share your feelings? And then I'll turn it around and say, you know, you're interesting, you're dynamic, you're attractive, you're charismatic, you're intelligent. Anyone would be lucky to be in your life. You're a gift. And when you share your feelings, you're offering someone an invitation to participate in something wonderful with an understanding. They don't need to accept that invitation. You're simply offering it with the understanding you can take it or not take it, or you can do whatever you want with it. And either way, I'm going to be okay because my only obligation is to offer without expectations and to genuinely do it from a place of integrity and honesty and respect. And I love that. Love that. It's like such a reversal because it, as opposed to I'm not enough and I need someone to validate me and give me something. And I think that those things combined really, really are powerful. Okay. But let's pause on it real quick. Uh, What's important you just brought up. You said, Hey, we know the energy of a room, but it's important for anybody watching this to know that's the magic of choosing the right person to bring into the room. Because when let's say I make a statement like, look, uh, I, if you tell me I've got game and I say, I'm sorry, you need it. And the whole room goes, Ooh, like mic drop, right? What that moment does is tell everybody in the room, not who I am. And before they walked in the room, they were trying to be that. And in, in one moment they switch and go, wait, that's not who I want to be. This is who I want to be. And the people in the room who are in the space of that is who I am. I play the game. I are suddenly going, wait, is there something wrong with my game, with what I'm doing? And they self-evaluate who before they walked in never would have self-evaluated because the power of positive peer experience in that room can do that. And that's the beauty of when you bring an empowering program. Yeah. You know, you're social. We could talk, we could talk off, off, uh, offline as well. You know, you have so much great stuff, man. And it's like, you know, students are getting this through TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram and and all these places. And um, I just think you have such a gift. And it's like, you know, I'm going to share a lot of this, but I just want people to get this. And I feel like the schools are never going to be able to give enough students the life skills they need. And your programs are great. And, you know, you're able to meet a certain number of people and interact, but just like, as a conversation continues and people are in these situations and other people can comment, you know, I've seen just through social media, what you just described in that room of people going, Whoa, you know, those are the moments that happen in the comment section. And, you know, for parents, they're welcome to check out mine. Mike's got, got great, great content and you're you're doing great work. Uh, I just think there's also so many opportunities to, um, you know, to continue to share that. And if if you're interested in any way, I, I was just, I just think yeah, well, here's what I would here, you know, I I have a company that just takes my speeches and edits them up under 60 seconds, and every day we release a video. That's what I do. And I've had people go, 
well, does that get you more speaking events? Have you tracked that? Have you, are you getting, because that's costing you money to hire this company to do that. And I've made a decision for me, because don't get me wrong, in the past, I might have went, oh, let me see and let me do it for that reason. Where I got to a place where I'm like, I don't care. We're, we're reaching people who I would not have reached in any classroom or any school who won't bring me in because they won't trust this topic. But that kid now sees my social media and gets the lesson another way. So if that's the beauty of the social media channels yeah. for both you and I, we can reach so many more lives than we could have just in the room. And yet, obviously, in the room is so much more powerful, but it, it does. It's so important yeah. to reach the people that we don't have access to. Yeah, I totally dig that too. Like I've been like, take all my stuff. I don't care. You know, it's like right. 20 years ago, I'd be like, wait, that's mine. And people need to pay to get that. And now I'm like, I just don't give a shit. Like all I want to do is yeah. serve, serve, serve. And I know there'll be enough. And, you know, I think that just comes over time and just understanding, like, I, I just don't care. I want to offer. And it's like, there'll be enough. That's it, man. Exactly. Exactly. And what's funny about that old fear of, you know, hey, well, what if they're taking my stuff or they're, they're going that that approach is your clients know when somebody's doing your stuff. Yeah. Like I've actually gotten a call where somebody goes, this person is referring to page 73 and 120 of your book, right out of your book, literally verbatim in their speeches without giving you credit. I didn't know what exactly was on page 173 and 120. I mean, I know my book, but I didn't know page one. They knew it that well, that they were like, I know that phrase. And they went to my book. So what's also thing is you're fearing about somebody stealing or whatever. Look, if, if you're doing good work that makes a difference, that's the most important thing. Number two, if that is how they're operating, the universe will show itself sooner or later. I'm not going to waste my energy in that space. So the book you're referring to is Can I Kiss You, correct? Yes. Yeah. So Mike has a book available. So for parents who are interested in a book, we'll make sure we, we have a link to the book in the show notes and your website and your social media. But it's a great book to share, to talk through, to give to your kid. I have a few more questions for con the consent or no consent game. So we'll just we'll just run through sure. this. I want to give people the rest of these takeaways. Okay. Uh, consent or no consent. Grinding up on someone you don't know while dancing at a party when oh that's a no okay this is an easy one that's a no consent uh you how in the world do you know they want that before you did it right you don't so and let me say i grew up in the era of dirty dancing and so that was the beginning of grinding not today's version of grinding it's different but it was grinding and so i'm standing in front of you as a guy who lived to dance right but I don't remember anybody ever thinking back then, I'm just going to go up on that person and do that to them, right? You chose a partner who wanted to dance that style if that's how you're going to dance. So that's completely different than what you're describing there. What if they're all drunk? Like people are drunk, they're they're at a party, they're just having fun and everybody's just like dancing and, you know, it's, it's, it's close quarters and, you know, different Yeah, people. look, close quarters, I'm not trying to intentionally grind you sexually up against your genitals or your body, sexual acts. And we, we had that happens to happen. We're in a different ball game, right? That is complete. It's like, uh, it's the same as you're in the subway and somebody accidentally hits your rear end, right? That's very different than somebody's intentionally doing that on the subway and people do that. So yeah, if you, if in no way you have sought that this person wants this or doesn't want this, we don't have consent. Okay. So consent or no consent, Touching someone's body part while kissing without discussing where your hand is going. Well, this goes back to what I already said, right? Specific. So 
Uh, yeah, that can absolutely lead into a no consent situation. But can somebody, because there's the old like kind of wander around and wait till somebody pushes a hand away or says no, you know, is there any hand wander? Like the minute a hand wanders. Is well, let me be considered... clear. Remember what I'm describing as consent is not the legal. So I'm not having somebody here listen to this and go, am I going to be charged because my hand went down six inches from where it was? When I... No, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about not just it's important. What we're talking about is how do you want to treat someone? And that's what this is. So while we're playing the game of consent or no consent, I would switch it to, is this the right way to treat a partner or not treat a partner? Yeah. I think so also, my yeah. hands, my hands roaming can be very dangerous depending on where they're roaming. Now, if you're telling me they went from the middle of the back to the lower back, we're probably not talking about anything, but suddenly you're grabbing somebody's rear end we're probably talking about something potentially because that person might consider that more sexual than a non-sexual part of the body. So there's going to be differences, obviously, yeah. greatly based on how we're having this conversation. And I think that the... Because the, what about, what same example, hand slides in the pants. People did that in college. People do that in college and in high school and middle school. And so that's a different version. And that's the danger of, you know, we're, we're estimating here. So the question is, how do I know the person would want that? Do I need to ask all what well, you someone have to ask with each move with each? So move? here's what we, here's what I teach with that. Uh, let's say that you're both old enough. This is critical. You're old enough to give consent when we're having this conversation, but Hey, when we're dancing with each other, how do you, what do you love to, when you're dancing, what do you like to experience? Like if, are you someone who likes to grind or do you hate grinding? Just ask. They're like, oh, no, I hate grinding. Okay. You do like grinding. What does that mean to you? Like, do you like it when somebody's holding you tight while they're grinding? You do. And make it like an ex a curiosity. Seek curiosity. That's what we always tell people. Yeah. Lead with curiosity to seek understanding, right? And so just have this quick conversation. Now, I know this is not what most people do when people are going to listen to this going, this is insane. Right. Yeah, because you've been taught just to do to somebody without regard for them because you assume it's okay, even though it's not your body. So what's more insane, that system or me saying, as somebody who's been down these roads, we were in college, we did, all, you know, we went to clubs, we did all that thing. Uh, I can even look back and we all can. What would have been the better way to handle that situation? And that's what we're talking about. Try to get a best case scenario. What about the door? But I, I, I know, like with me, I know the one person that I used to love dancing that way with. We looked for each other because we knew we would dance that way yeah. with each other, but I wouldn't dance with other people the same dance. I'm jumping to the bed and there's, uh, you know, yep. two inexperienced partners and, uh, you know, they, they consent to kissing and, and then one of the partners is more handsy and, and, and aggressive and touches someone's genitals or, you know, it could be no genders don't yeah, matter we, we don't have consent <laughs> so, so it, before like hey can i talk absolutely this one this one's an easy one uh because absolutely why wouldn't i i mean that's a major choice to touch somebody's genitals that's a major choice so i should have asked what you wanted what you love what you don't like what you wanted to experience before i ever did that so if you're saying, well, we go from making out, how do we go from the middle of making out to, is it okay for me to move my hand? Ask, what would you like me to do next? You're making out, whisper in the ear. Would you, you, would you like me to take this further? Would you like to, if they say, hell yeah, or yes, yeah, that type of thing. Okay, what would you like? 
Well, grab me, touch me, right? Let them answer. Right. But could you like, as you're moving, say, is this okay? Or does that put them in a The problem with it, okay, so let's go there. Uh, somebody puts their hands down the front of someone's pants. Is this okay? No. What's already happened, Harlan? Or they start, like they're just at the top of the pants and they go, but, hey, but, but how slower? I let, let's, that's a slow movement. We know people are not all operating like that. The moment they're going, they're in is often, okay. often, let's, right? You've already committed a sexual assault if they didn't want to be sexually touched that way. It's done. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be prosecuted. We're not saying somebody's going to charge you. But in most states, unwanted sexual contact of the genitalia is going to be a fourth degree, at least, sexual assault. Doesn't mean you're going to be prosecuted, but why would I want to be putting my hands down someone's pants who didn't want my hands down their pants? Right. And if, by the way, if you're going, well, this would just be an awkward conversation, then let's look in the mirror why you are so awkward talking about what you want to do with your own body. Right. It shouldn't be awkward. It should be you so want each other that this is just part of the experience right. of learning with each other and and having this incredible experience right if it ruins imagine if your partners it, yeah you're going to crush the situation if you handle it wrong right if it i say if it ruins if it ruins the intimacy or the chance of you experiencing that then it was never something that should have ever happened yeah here's the answer that i give every audience if you tell me asking ruin the moment you never had one to start with yeah, it's a good way. To and when it. you say that, students are like, oh, because they know it's true. If you're in the heat of the moment and you want it to happen and your partner's like, you want to do this right now? You're not going, I can't believe you just asked. You're going, yes. <laughs> are you opening this door? Yes, I want this right now. The last thing you're going to do is go, how dare you ask? I mean, what are you doing? Right. Not if you're sexually mature. Not if you're sexually mature. Which most people are, are not. Uh, I think who are in. I don't know that it's a most. It's that they haven't been given the opportunity. Right, they're inexperienced. They haven't had. They haven't yeah. had those life experiences. Yeah. But, okay. But you ask. You ask an audience. Hey, my. I'm hot and heavy for my partner, and they said you want me to do this thing. I want them to do with me. I'm not for a moment pausing on the question. I'm not even questioning the question. I'm saying hell yeah, yes, whatever phrase I want to use, because yeah. that's not going to ruin the moment. There's no way. Okay. Another moment, taking off your own clothing without discussing what will happen next. Yeah, this is based on assumption, and this can be massive power dynamics. This is not okay uh, unless, let me be clear with this, you are in a relationship where this has been discussed, right? Like you are in a mature world. So these are two versions. You've never been with this person, and their first move is to strip in front of you. All right, that is going to potentially, depending on the dynamics, the power dynamics, make them think, oh, they think this is about to happen. Like, I don't have a choice right now. And that's not healthy, right? If you are in a mature relationship, you've, you've had these conversations, you've been sexually active before, and you too love this as a form of flirtatious play, sure, that, that's awesome because you have established that. Yeah. And that's something you would like. It's if you had taken the scene from The Wolf of Wall Street and it was a scene that was not the way that one was built. So he's laying on the bed. She walks out of the bathroom naked, right? If that had been, keep in mind, there was, we don't even know if they were able to consent. There was Coke. There was all this other stuff involved. Right. Um, 
But let's say that that was not the situation. That was a that was a really mature, healthy sexual situation between two people that there was no power play because he had massive power dynamics there. Right. He was the he was the power player throughout the movie. But let's say there was no power dynamic and you're in the mood and you go to bed and your partner opens those doors with like, hey, 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 you're going to. Yeah, you're going to love this because you've established this. The problem is the arrogance of assuming this is what my partner always wants, who I don't even know yet. Yeah, it's it's manipulative. Uh, it it yeah. feels that, yes. that you know, you're yeah. creating a situation where somebody is going to disappoint you if they tell you to put your clothes back on and call you a creep or whatever. Correct. And oh, by the way, uh, people argue on I me. Mean, you've probably gotten this in your work, too. No man would ever say no to that. You get that, that phrase, no man would ever say no to that. Uh, uh, hold on. What are you picturing? Because they always picture the one they wanted doing that. And they forget that for many people, this scene is with the person they didn't want to do that with. So right. if I told you this person you're not attracted to at all suddenly flies the doors open naked, then they're like, oh, my gosh. I, oh, so suddenly the story was different. But what they're doing is they're using best case scenario as their right. argument why this should always be true because everybody's always going to want that. Your and I's versions are not best case. If you don't want it, you're able to express it. If you do right. want it, you're able to express it. It doesn't require best case scenario to work. Gotcha. Okay. And then I have just one more. And by the way, what I just said knocked out almost every example we've given. Does it require best case scenario in my mind for it to work? So somebody's roaming their hands. That requires them to absolutely want it that I don't know is true. That requires best case scenario. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so that's a disaster if it requires best case scenario. Right. That's a that's a that's a that's a great thing for people to to keep in mind because you always have to assume it might not be the best case scenario. In fact. That's right. Life is not the best case scenario. And you could be turning this into a worse life scenario, honestly, if you right. mishandle this. Right. And the next, the next, the next one, the last one, asking for consent. There's two versions. Okay. Um, asking for mutual consent after having one drink and then asking for consent, mutual consent after five drinks or five drinks and a joint or yeah, let's go there. Let's go there. Don't no one help. can answer this. No one can answer this because the standard is uh, legally typically is incapacitation, but incapacitation doesn't necessarily mean unconscious. So a blacked out person has no memory of that event the night before the next day, but they're walking around talking, but they're clearly not of sound mind. Right. Uh, and this is why we don't use the word incapacitation in, in my definition, because that's often used in the law. It's such a horribly low standard. When people hear incapacitation, they think passed out, which is obviously horrible, but also too low of a standard again. So the question is, how do I know this person's of sound mind? Now, when I ask an audience, does some of you know somebody that after one drink is not of sound mind? The whole room's like, I know the person. <laughs> some of them are like, I am the person. <laughs> so, so that's already a problem. Others will say, I can have five drinks over the course of a night and I'm totally of sound mind. Or I have a friend, who, they're totally of sound mind. I can't judge that. So the moment somebody in the audience says, well, then how can I tell if they're of sound mind? The moment you have to wonder, you can't guarantee it. 
The moment you have to ask, is it possible they're not of sound mind? If there's even a possibility, I can't guarantee I have consent here. Now, there's an easy way to resolve this. Wait till they're sober. Let's see if they still want you. Here's the amazing thing about horniness. If you're really horny for somebody, you're even more horny the next day when you didn't have some the night before. <laughs> if you really wanted them, if it wasn't the alcohol, if it wasn't the drugs, the intensity of wanting could, own, not always, but could increase by waiting. So there's no harm here. If they really want me, they'll want me another time. It doesn't mean they're going to want me tomorrow. I didn't mean that directly, you know, literally, but maybe another day down the road. But if they need, if, if the argument is, well, I'm not sure that, no, wait, wait. So in terms of like a general rule, because I, I know you talked about consent is not the same as assault, you know, consent and sexual assault kind of had like a, You'd well, consent consent is the foundation of a of a sexual assault case, right? So they're really you know they're really tied together, and yeah. and in a situation where a student when you're in a when you're in a college and someone says, hey, you know if if we've had a couple drinks and we're and you know we're just a little bit you know buzzed, is, is it is that consent because? Yeah, I, I can't answer. I don't know your sound. Yeah, here's the truth. I don't know your sound mind. I can't answer. And you go, well, then who's going to be prosecuted? Let's not find out. So, so it let's is so not let, let it is so blurred that you better know your partner well enough to make that call. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that, Harlan. You could sit down with your spouse and say after this many drinks, you're typically tipsy or you're typically not. Would you agree? And your partner, if you know each other well, is going to be like, that sounds about right. After that drink, I'm not there. Okay. After that drink, I'm not having sex with you because I don't want to have sex with you when you don't know what you're doing. Right? And you can have that conversation. If you go, well, then nobody be having sex. Then you just told me that your marriage doesn't happen unless somebody's drunk. Sex doesn't happen. I wouldn't be bragging once again. What actually happens in mature situations is they'll say, are you going to get, are you, hey, I want to get drunk tonight, but I know we're not going to have sex if I'm drunk. How about we have sex now? That's what happens in a mature sexual relationship. They'll say, hey, I don't want to wait till I'm drunk later. How about we have, have sex now and then let's go out? And they'll do that. It doesn't stop anybody. And the sex is even better because you know what you're doing. You feel everything. You're totally in the moment. I'm thinking of that. I'm thinking of the, you know, the, the students after a party. And, and I'm thinking of a parent having a conversation to their, to their child and saying, you know, if you go to a party and you drink and you're with somebody who also had, had alcohol, uh, is that safe? You know, is that, is that considered consensual? Uh, and we can't answer. So what we cannot say to a student nowadays, and people have done this and it's really dangerous. If you have one drink, you can't consent. That's not legally even close to accurate. And by the way, it's not even accurate in the world of are you of sound mind? Because there are a lot of people who can have a few drinks and they're totally of sound mind. So it's also not fair. It just sounds ridiculous. Uh, so I can't answer because everybody is so different. Now, what a parent can say is that if alcohol or drugs are involved, the risk is way up. That's right. a fact. That's a fact. So why not wait till you know they're of sound mind? So the first time you're going to have sex with somebody, don't be, make, make sure everybody knows what they're doing. Now you might go, well, why did you say the first time? Because after you have a relationship, you might be able to establish, oh, one or two drinks, they're okay. You have enough knowledge to make that basis. 
you don't have it right now. You two don't know each other well enough right now. Uh, and so that's the danger there. If you get to a place where you do know each other, you can call the boundary for each other. Right. So I would say the rule of just as a rule of the first time you are intimate with someone sec- in any sexual way, be sober. Like if you're not sober, it's not safe. It's a great approach. It's a great approach. And if somebody said, well, come on, Mike, one drink, I would agree for 90% of people probably. One drink is fine. You're having a drink at dinner, that kind of a thing, right? It's when you start going into, we're having drinks. You don't know the person. You're in a danger zone. Yeah. Okay, Mike, this has been great. Uh, This is helpful. If there are parents or students or educators or anybody who you can share any additional, you know, bullet points, takeaways, you know, how to approach the conversation. I know you've done this so many times, but- you know, I'd love, I'd love for you to just be able to, to wrap this up by, by helping people to understand how to approach this and, and what they can do. Yeah, the greatest thing you can do to approach the view of intimacy is that instead of focused on what I shouldn't do, what is the right way to treat myself and another human being? What's the best way I can treat myself and this other human being? Because if I am a parent or a student focused on don't commit sexual assault, or I don't want to do anything to commit sexual assault. I'm focused on all the negative, on the horrible. If I shift my mindset to, if I choose to be sexually active, I want it to be mutually amazing. That sets a high standard that is built in how I treat myself, another person, in joy, in pleasure, in connection, potentially love. And it's a beautiful standard to set too. Tell somebody what not to do, There's nothing they can do with it. Tell somebody what it looks like when it's beautiful and they have a standard to set and they're able to more empower themselves to recognize, well, we're not headed there. I'm out. And it empowers them to stop more often because they recognize I'm not on the path. This is not the path to what I want. And they're more likely to say, no, stop. Let's not go there versus I just don't want to do the wrong thing. I just don't want to do the wrong thing, which also turns into, I don't want to disappoint them. Yeah. Because I don't want to do the wrong thing. It's a whole different mindset and a, and a whole different approach. Yeah. And I think it's really healthy and helpful. And I, I hope that we can have a lot of great conversation as part of this and the in the comments or wherever people are, are watching this and, and listening to this. Where are you going now? Like, I know that you're you're on the road. Are you doing an event today? I'm doing an event. Uh, I'm in Palm Springs, California. I'm doing an event for a law firm association, actually. So I'm speaking to, this is a great example of, you know, the work you and I get to do. Uh, Tomorrow, I'm speaking to middle school students of the parents. I'm speaking then to the high school parents, uh, students of the parents. And then at night, I'm speaking to all the law firms about creating a culture of respect in the workplace. So now how do we take this and treat each other with respect in the workplace? So outside the sexual realm, how do you do that in the workplace? What, What are you telling middle school parents? So middle school students is who I'm talking with. Uh, And then middle school, high school students. Well, where do you think it's all starting? I I think middle school, middle school is where the experimentation begins. So we've got to empower those middle schoolers to have the skills to be able to declare their boundaries and to make sure they're not um, doing anything to harm another person's boundaries. For instance, they're not legally old enough to consent. And we have parents out there going, oh, it's okay. My kids are dating in middle school. It's innocent. And you ask the middle schoolers, hey, what's happening in dating in middle school? And they're telling you kissing and way more. And when you go way more, they start to giggle because it's so uncomfortable. 
and you go, what's way more? And they'll start talking, telling you in front of the room, sexual acts. Uh, this little innocent thing you think is not always innocent. Now we're talking about sexual assault because there's no way they can consent by that age. And if you don't teach these skills in middle school, the students have no skills to declare boundaries, to honor their own, to honor other people's, and to not be doing any of this in the first place. They literally don't have the skill set to say, I'm not ready for this. I don't want to pursue this with another person. I don't want this for my own. They don't have any of the skills to do that. And so what they do is they feel like, well, I have to do this. this is what everybody's doing. And that's what happens, which is really dangerous. Yeah, that's fascinating. And uh, you you obviously are very skilled in how you can present a message. So when you're talking to middle schools, you know, you know the nuances, you know the language and high schools. And I I, I as well. It's uh, what, yeah. what you do. No, you said sanitized. My work is PG. Yeah. Until I'm working with a, like adult audiences, my work is PG. And even with adult audiences, it's PG-13. Um, yeah. That's it. So because you don't need to be edgy to be effective. Right. It's, and people don't understand that. I, I, I have embraced yeah. that more, more and more. And uh, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you. Thanks for taking so much time. I know you got a full day ahead of you. Uh, Mike Domish, you, you are incredible. You help people with consent. You help people to communicate. You help them with intimacy. You help them with respect. I'm going to include all of your resources. So people can get to know you, your message, your books, your social media. Is there anything else that you wanted to to include before we end our Well, I just want to thank you, Harlan, for opening this conversation to your audience, who I don't know and probably doesn't know me. And so I'm very, very grateful for that. I look forward to meeting everybody watching this right now. I hope you do reach out. I do hope you do comment because this is a conversation. Uh, people can go, well, how dare he say that? Ask me the questions you've got. This is, this is why we're here. It's not for me to prove I'm right or you're wrong or vice versa. It's to just simply ask some questions about the way we've been taught to do things. And yeah. that's all we're asking people to do. Evaluate. Is this how you would want your, here's the one I always ask. Is this how you'd want your child to be treated? Yeah. Even if you're 18, if it was your own kid, would you want them to be treated this way? Right. It's, these are great questions. We got to, um, and it'd be fun to do like a live Q and A because uh, that would be. It's such it's such good it's such good information and uh, I don't know we'll figure things out but this is this is a blast so anyway thanks Mike um, I'm so grateful that we can uh, share the space and for those of you who enjoyed please let us know in the comments reach out to us we're in your corner we really do like feedback and uh, we're grateful that we can be here for you so thanks for being here everyone.